Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down. I hope you're having a blessed day, wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Quote, Our greatest gain is to lose the wealth that is of such brief duration and, by comparison with eternal things, of such little worth. Yet we get upset about it and our gain turns to loss. End quote from St. Teresa of Avila. And you know, the Catholic Church has a lot to say about wealth and money. And at the end of the day, it's really the love of money that is the root of all evil. And if we need any reminders of that, let's look and see what the world is like today. A lot of the deception that we see in the world, and even over the last several years, it has to do with money and material things, earthly goods and possessions. Now, God has given us the responsibility, especially as Christians and Catholics, people of goodwill, to be good stewards of our money, to be prudent with our money and all of our talents and to make sure that we're putting them to the very best use and that they're not being used for illicit or evil purposes. So to help us gain a little bit more wisdom and insights on this particular topic, I thought we'd have Mark Lozano back on the podcast. And if you remember from last year, he had a fantastic testimony. Wow, the Lord has worked so uh, powerfully in Mark's life, Mark and his whole family. And uh, the grace of God has really been flowing in Mark's life on his journey back to the church and now his perspectives too on the world of finances. And you're going to really like a lot of his insights that he's going to share with us on this podcast and follow him on his YouTube channel. And he's got a website as well, Christ Centered Capital, and you'll find a lot of great resources there. But before you get to that, why don't you grab your favorite beverage and sit down for this conversation with our friend Mark Lozano. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Mark Lozano is the founder of Christ Centered Capital and the main contributor and editor of content on his YouTube channel, and it's a real good one. Mark is also a revert to the Catholic faith and has appeared on many programs detailing his journey to the church, including the journey home on EWTN and also an appearance on our podcast way back on episode 73. It's over a year ago, but it was great. Now, his life has taken him to playing basketball in college and working for the NBA for six years, but now he's dedicating his life to his family and challenging others to be good stewards of their investments and money. So, Mark, welcome back to the Catholic Canuck podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, David. Well, Mark, lots going on in the world and uh, lots going on with your apostolate too. Uh, I love following it and, and hearing your insights and perspectives. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, it was about a year ago when you came on our podcast last week. We had such great feedback uh, from that episode. So uh, tell us how things are going with you personally right now. Uh, I saw your interview on the journey home. It wasn't that long after we chatted and mm. you've uh, made numerous appearances on other programs to talk about your testimony. So, so how have things been going for you? Uh, things have been going really well. Um, the I've definitely had a couple more interviews, quite a few more interviews, just kind of offering up the testimony. And I'm finally getting to a point where I can talk more about what I want to talk about, which is less of my testimony and more of the little apostolate, this little passion project that I have in Christ Center Capital. And Christ Center Capital has evolved a lot um, since I first started it. Um, we can talk about that whole journey, but right now the main goal of Christ Center Capital is getting the book published, which, uh, the title is tentative, but it is going to be a book that is essentially challenging, um, how Christians should view or even participate in the stock market. And you've had some interesting uh, perspectives when it comes to the stock market and with money here, even since our last conversation. So maybe chat a little bit about that and, and uh, how you've viewed the stock market, what kind of gave you that metanoia moment, I guess, of of uh, how you view that? Yeah. So when I first, first off, when I was in college, I was um, kind of born and bred to be a Wall Street guy, uh, went to school for international economics, undergrad, graduate school, uh, got a little tiny taste of Wall Street, didn't like it. Um, and that's why I bounced around to different financial analysts and financial management jobs that landed me at the MBA. But when I left the MBA and everything, um, one of the ways I was really making money for my me, myself and my family was investing, day trading, um, long-term investments, and just kind of getting lucky on the market, getting lucky in crypto and uh, playing those markets. That's one of the ways that I was really generating revenue for my family. But upon my conversion, I had these newfound Christian moral convictions that led me to believe that 
a lot of things on the stock market, a lot of these nefarious companies were counter to those Christian moral convictions that I were so compelled by. And so that's when I started Christ Center Capital, where I was a essentially a stock picker for Christians, where I would not only pick assets that were timely uh, financial assets, but also assets that were, or at least I thought, were morally aligned with uh, Catholic social teaching and those broader Christian moral convictions. And over time of digging really, really deep into this subject, reading everything from um, JP2 and his encyclicals that talk about labor, investing, and work, and getting involved with the guys at New Polity, uh, which is a great site everyone should check out, I realized that the stock market as a whole, the case for it being not compatible with Christianity is very, very strong. The Christian case against the stock market is a very, very strong one, mostly because of, well, there's a lot of reasons as to why, and that's kind of what the book is about, but everything from abstract dominant economics to promoting vices like greed and sloth to destroying the nuclear family to creating inflation and all of these different avenues, plus of things that uh, church fathers and popes and uh, the magisterium have talked about, and along with scripture verses, really, really would point the good formed moral conscience of a Christian in an opposite in a in a position of opposition to the stock market. And this made me really think that I needed to change what Christ Center Capital was. So I've kind of changed from being a stock picker of sorts and an ethical screener of stocks to more of a philosophical website dedicated to how Christians should interact with wealth. And it's been uh I got a lot of people that didn't like that shift and I got a lot of people who really liked that shift because a lot of people the, some of the best feedback I got was this is something that we've been tackling for or thinking about for a really long time. And then uh, me and a couple other people finally put our thoughts on the website and a couple other places. And it really struck home with people being like, you know, you're kind of validating some of our pre-held beliefs that maybe this whole secondary market of speculation isn't what Christ is calling us to. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting quote from Archbishop Corleone from San Francisco. I thought I'd read it really quick because I think it's applicable to what we're talking about today. He said, in our own Catholic Church, we're in a struggle about living our faith in a world that's become very secularized. But secularized not in the sense of apart from religion, but with a value system that's hostile to some basic values that we have. And the question he asked was, how do we live our faith with integrity? I thought that was really timely because... The, the secularization of our society, um, it ties into banking and money and, and, and all those sorts of things. And I know that one of the struggles that, that I have is that, and it's not just me, but other people as well, other Catholic men and women that they might work for a decent company, but when you're putting money uh, or the company puts money into a pension or an RSP for you, you really don't have any control over that. They just say, okay, this is what we're doing. Oh. We're putting the money into uh, the stock market and you have no say. And even if you... Uh, take the time to look at the funds that they're investing in. It's all the big banks. It's the pharmaceuticals, uh, big energy company, telecommunications, and you have no say in it. It's uh, doesn't that kind of it should raise alarm bells for everybody when you think about how really interwoven should. this secular society is, right, Mark? When I was first starting out um, down the rabbit hole of the stock market, and I wasn't opposed to it as a whole. I just wanted to get some of the nefarious companies out of my portfolios, whether that be my retirement accounts or my personal accounts. I realized that when I went to go talk to um, the people that managed the investment accounts for the NBA, I couldn't dictate. I knew I had all my research. I said, I want this moved. I want that moved. And they're just like, nope, can't do that. And I'm like, but isn't it the money that I is it's supposed to be mine per se, but really it's not. So you, when I realized I can't even control what my money is being invested in, that was a, a huge, a huge kind of like light bulb moment of like, wow, there's a lot of problems to this system, and we need to really start thinking critically about this, especially as Christians. Mm-hmm. The secular uh, society and culture takes care of themselves. You know, I like to say that to, to our, our brothers and sisters in the church is that uh, when it comes to deciding what charities to donate to, and I'm even talking about even at a local level, if it's 
a sports team or your, your dance club. I know there's certain obligations you need to, to maybe reach, but going over and above, uh, the secular world will take care of themselves. The Catholic Church, we have so many great Catholic charities. First and foremost, we need to see the needs of our parish too. Uh, that's that's important for our local community. But there's so many other great Catholic charities that we need to discern and look into as well because there's some that maybe aren't so good, but there are a lot of good ones. And we need to make sure that our money is going towards them, right? Because the secular world, the non-Catholics, they're not offering any help, whether that's your gifts or your money, right? Mm-hmm. No, very true. All too often... One of the all too often, one of the arguments that I'm actually making in the book that will hopefully be published here soon. Uh, one of the arguments I'm making is that whenever we fail to build up the Christian community or our Christian families or our Christian businesses, the secular world is all too willing to pick up the slack. So mm-hmm. when we dismiss, you know, making uh making the CYO program really, really big and really successful and parents want to put their kids in it for, you know, youth sports and everything. When we don't do that, the AAU programs come in and they're going, then the travel programs come in. And that is just one example that can seep into every aspect of life. You know, that, that thing can go, that can be, uh, every aspect of life you can possibly think of that secular world is willing to pick up the slack so easily. That's yeah, the vacuum effect, right? And, and in the society at large, too, we see that the influence of Christianity and specifically Catholicism, as it declines, so does culture as society. You see anything that's the salt of the earth or the leaven and the bread that Catholicism and Christendom has provided for so many centuries. When that influence declines, then the world takes a hit, too, doesn't it, Mark? So mm-hmm. you mentioned something about inflation, and I think that that's important to, to talk about, too. Um, Again, these are just observations from us. We're not offering, uh, you know, financial advice to anybody on an individual basis because everybody's so different. But inflation is something that's important for us to to understand too, and how it ties into government spending and printing money. And again, it ties into the stock market too. Um, how that affect or how that affects inflation and the rates, and then our cost of living. Maybe explain that to some of our listeners too, Mark. I think it's important that we understand that. So yeah, um, try not to get too technical here, but the so the very base level definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few of goods, right? Mm-hmm. So too much money, too little of goods, you're gonna have inflation there, and that means the value of the dollar is going to go down. Inflation is a natural part of life, as the human beings keep having more kids and keep uh, you know expanding. We're going to have need for more shelter or for more transportation or for more food. And this will naturally make the prices of things go up because of your old economics 101 class and supply and demand. However, there is that necessary part of inflation of human beings just needing more food or needing more shelter or needing more transportation, needing more clothing. And then there's unnecessary inflation. And one of the arguments that I make um about the stock market on my site and my newsletters and everything is that the stock market is completely unnecessary inflation. And some people don't even view the stock market as inflation, but when you really start to look at it from just how it works, what you're doing, say you're demanding, say you want to buy Tesla stock, that's a demand. So I'm demanding Tesla stock. Now, as you demand something, the price of that thing will go up if enough people demand it. Now, obviously, Uh, over 50% of adults here in the U.S. are participated in the stock market, and that statistic goes true for most of the Western world. So as the big ones, you know, Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft, um, Google, or Alphabet, Meta, all these things, well, as you're demanding, what you're truly demanding is an abstraction. This is not something that provides food, shelter, transportation, clothing. You're demanding an abstraction. And that abstraction's utility is to beget more money. So what we are using is we're using our money to demand something that sole purpose is to produce more money. What do you think that, well, what kind of effect do you think that will have on your dollar? Obviously, it's going to make it go down. So the stock market in of itself, now most people are told that you must invest in the secondary market to avoid inflation. But all of the millions upon billions of people that are investing into the market 
are actually causing the problem that they are told that they're trying to solve by investing in it and saving the value of their dollar when really that dollar keeps diminishing. And the kicker is, is the bigger players on the market, take the uh, Mark Zuckerberg's, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, it's really a big bait and switch for them. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos especially, what they do is they come in, they sell this abstraction of Microsoft stock, Amazon stock. And when that price gets inflated so much and so many people are demanding it, what do they then do? Both Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are two of the biggest farmland owners in the world right now because they took that thing, that that money that was earned from an abstraction, which is essentially useless to the everyday life of a human being, and they went and bought the most useful thing possible, which is land. And when we start thinking about this as a whole, that that uh, that inflation aspect is really, really key as to how society has kind of uh, crumbled because of it. Well, even in Canada, you know, Western Canada where I live, Mark, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba – they call it kind of the the breadbasket of Canada because oh, of yeah. all the farmland that we have and what we grow for, especially for grains. So, um, but there's there's fewer and fewer farmers, and we're seeing that farms are becoming massive. Right, where um, you know we're talking about acres or hectares of land that are owned by sometimes a family. You know, sometimes there's a, a kid or two, but um, slowly but surely they're not really becoming family farms anymore. Where you have um, you know a handful of, of cattle. And you have some grain and you maybe have some other animals like chickens. You have a big garden. There's uh, not much like that anymore, Mark. It's more like massive, you know, combining outfits where you got four or five combines. You've got grain trucks. You've got all kinds of uh, equipment that you need in order to um, to basically manage to harvest your crop in time. You need that in order to do it mm-hmm. because you have so much land. And, uh, so that's been kind of sad because I've had such, I had such great memories growing up on a farm that was very small. The most head of cattle we ever had, I think was maybe 120. Um, and we had chickens, we had a great big garden. Uh, we had some other animals, uh, here and there. And it really taught us that, um, even though we weren't, we certainly weren't wealthy, but we weren't poor either. We were exactly kind of right in that middle there. And we had lots of time to help our neighbors and some of the great memories that I have about being on a small farm even was just how our neighbors would help us because we were all so close to each other, right? If you mm-hmm. saw a rainstorm coming, you'd come and, and help bale the hay, for example. And then you'd, you'd reciprocate that. If you were done your work and you saw your neighbor was struggling out there, or maybe had a breakdown of some sort, you'd go and help them out. Um, subsidiarity is maybe the word I'm looking for, which is a, a great term that that that's huge in the Catholic Church. I would say that even the Catholic Church made famous. Mm-hmm. is the the term subsidiarity so so that's interesting i want to um talk about banks a little bit i've always had kind of an uneasy feeling about banks and you know we talk about necessary evils in this world well, it seems like banks are kind of one of those right and i know in the states there's uh, a lot of issues around uh some uh, some banks folding up at some really big size banks as yeah. well we have a little bit of a different system in canada we have essentially five or six very large banks and then a handful of credit unions underneath. But when you, and you know, historically and and around the world, the world would call Canada's banking system actually very favorable or very strong in that sense. But when you think about, uh, you know, just from a, a personal perspective, when you have a small amount of banking institutions, it also makes it very easy for them to control money. And, uh, hey, look no further than ask uh, that politician in England, Nigel Farge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, had his bank accounts not only frozen, but he basically lost his bank account because of his political views, and he couldn't start one up anywhere else. Well, how in the world are you going to manage to um, you know, have any transactions, pay your bills, do things like that without a bank account? Or ask even the, the supporters of the Freedom Convoy in Canada last year, making small donations to a cause that they felt was, was just, and uh, they got their accounts frozen too. How should Catholics look at banks? And I mean, we talked, I know you've talked in the, in the past about interest rates and, and the, um, uh, the morality around charging interest on loans. But uh, maybe how can, how can Catholics or how should we be looking at banks and that approach to, to money and transactions? Well, you probably hit the nail on the head when you said necessary evil because 
one of the reasons I attack the stock market is because in a way of the big of the bigger financial um let's call it system of the world, the bigger financial system of the world, the whole thing could be considered by many, considered by me to be very corrupt. But there's a lot of different parts at play in that financial system. One of the ways, one of the things I find it very easy to detangle yourself from, maybe hard emotionally, but very easy practically, is to detangle yourself from the stock market, which is I or the secondary markets of the world, which I believe is um, a key cog in that corrupt financial system. Banking may be just as corrupt, but it is much harder to detangle yourself from. And that I don't have good practical solutions, but in a way, I guess I kind of do. Uh, there are these pocket communities. I'm sure you have some in Canada, and we know we have some here in the United States of, you know, rising up in Steubenville. We can even take some from, you know, like Mormons, Latter-day Saints, uh, where they have these pocket communities. Because one of the biggest problems with the financial industry as a whole is it has made our economies national and global. And what a globalized economy, what a globalized society does is it decays the nuclear family and therefore the local community. And it would be much better if we had local communities kind of coming together where everyone in my little town of uh, Wingap, Pennsylvania, all had you know, we had two competing banks in our little town. And then outside of that, you know, you move to the next town over, whether it be Bangor or Easton, Pennsylvania, and there's another two little banks that are competing in that, in that area. But when you start having these nationalized banks and these, these nationalized markets and these globalized banks, these globalized markets, you then become very disconnected from your neighbor, as you were kind of talking about earlier. And when you become very disconnected from your neighbor and you become very isolated as an individual. It becomes harder to uh, have a family, raise your family. And you can kind of see, I might be jumping around here, but you kind of see this snowball effect that takes place where I really talk a lot about the decay of the nuclear family. And a lot of people like to blame social media. A lot of people like to blame, you know, the politics of the day and all of those things play their role. But I believe the financial industry, the financial system that uh, the Western world has put in place has played a very significant role in that decay of that nuclear family. And we know um, as Catholics, the goal of this life is to raise up saints, to be saints ourselves. And the best means we have to raise up those saints is a solid family, a solid Christ-loving, uh, God-fearing family. And the that financial industry has really really corrupted it and like i said i don't have a great answer for the bank other than try to look community try to look local but it's one of the reasons why i kind of attack the stock market because it's a little bit easier to detangle yourself from it might be emotional because you might have to take a hit uh if you divest your 401ks before you're of age or something like that but it's still a lot more easy to do and and practical and i certainly want to point to some examples that we can suggest to our listeners too. It's not all gloom and doom. I mean, we're still living in the world, but we still have, we still have Jesus at the center of our lives as Catholics. So we need to have that joy and that. Hope Absolutely. And Christians always need to be well, right? uh, long-term optimists because or the war's 100%. already won. I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, this new, these new acronyms, I guess, uh, ESG, DEI, and I think it, how it contributes to the stock market and some of the pressure that some corporations feel. And Actually, I do think that there are some companies and corporations that um, they don't want to get into the weeds of some of these social issues, and and maybe you know being lukewarm and sitting on the fence. So I guess that's as uh, that's about the same as, as being on the other side and maybe being on that that evil side. But having said that, the way that the system is set up, and I think that it's through banks and stock markets, is that you need to pledge your allegiance to certain social causes, right, Mark? Mm -hmm. And I think you saw that in your previous employment with the NBA. But, you know, from the, it's like Planned Parenthood, right? Well, the name itself is maybe not so threatening until you find out exactly what these guys are up to, right? So when Catholics hear about ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance, or DEI, I think that's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, inclusion yep. right? So I know that a lot of uh, companies that, that even I've had some interactions with, 
they need to have a program like this in order to secure funding from banks and lending institutions to keep their businesses going because they just get to be such big corporations, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. But how can Catholics approach these, you know, seemingly uh, simple and uh, and tame um, acronyms and you know something to people to get around and say, hey, we got to pledge ourselves to to these goals. But uh, there's really a there's really something that needs to be unmasked with these, doesn't there, Mark? Yeah, there's a lot of people doing some really good work there. Um, for from personal experience, I've known people that worked for companies that kind of made these DEI pledges or ESG pledges, and they were just kind of to appease the masses. I know of um, certain companies that they would put up some kind of goal they had for 2035 or 2045 or something like that, that they would be green emissions or whatever it was. And really it was just to appease the masses. And when 2035 rolls around, they'll just project it out another five years. Mm. And for that, I mean, you, we, we do live in the world that's run by, you know, kind of the, the, that's run by the enemy and ESG and DEI can kind of sort of sound nice to the untrained mind, but really what it is, is like the environmental social governance is, I mean, it's uh, climate hysteria, LGBTQ is for the social and the governance is the government wants control over it all. And obviously us as, whether you're a conservative, you're a Christian, both like you're going to be opposed to those. And the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion is it's, it's racism on its face. You're not looking at the content of character. You're not looking at the merit of an individual, but you're looking at what they look like and what their sexual orientation is. Now, for me, it was a little bit, some companies take a little bit harder stance. They're not just projecting something to appease the masses they are taking a hardcore line of saying, no, this is exactly what needs to happen. And that was my experience with the MBA. One of the reasons I had to leave the MBA, we went through eight hour critical race theory trainings. We partnered with uh, athlete ally, which is an organization that is main goal is to get. Well, biological men competing in women's sports at the middle school and high school level. So there when you hear a company start espousing the DEI or the ESG, you kind of got to look into what they like, what kind of hard line are they taking? Or are they just in an industry that is regulated and they have to do that in order to stay in business? And, you know, you can kind of make those decisions there. I would refer to people to a great uh, website called secondvote.org. Secondvote.org does research on, just about every major company in the Western world of whether they're taking ESG pledges, whether they're donating to Planned Parenthood. And I'm, I'm good friends with the, uh, the starter of that company, Dr. Blackman. Uh, I would highly suggest people going to check that out and you can kind of really see our, which companies are taking those like real hard line approaches to it, or some of them are just kind of you know, appeasing the masses and making sure that their business stays afloat and can get funding. It sure puts people of faith in tough positions when they work for companies like that, right? Yeah. And I mean, whatever happened in the days where we just want to you know, make a, make a profit for the company, everybody goes home safely, and we get to enjoy our family lives. I mean, it sounds like such a, a simple game plan, but uh, very rarely uh, ever falls into place that way, does it? No, it gets very complicated. And, and I, I tell this to just about all my uh, subscribers and all my uh, listeners and everything is every situation is unique. Maybe you are convinced that your company is just as bad as the NBA, or maybe you're convinced that you really need to get out of the stock market because you're convinced that the stock market as a whole is nefarious. Well, it depends on your situation. We need to operate with prudence. For me, I left my company and I divested from the, the stock market. I did everything when I was 29 years old. And the reason I did that was because one, I had my wife's support. Two, I had different opportunities to where I could provide for my family. Three, I was at an age where I do have a lot of time left in uh, my like money-making years, let's say. And 
I didn't have expenses to where I was in crazy debt or had these kind of things. Like I had a very unique situation. Plus I had strong moral convictions and I'm a very impulsive person to begin with. <laughs> so I had these kind of unique situation where I could pull out from both my job that was, you know, espousing hardline ESG, DEI stuff. And I could divest because of my moral convictions from the stock market. Other people, uh, you know, maybe 30 years, my senior or 40 years, my senior in the same position, maybe there's extreme uh, circumstances where they can't like just from legal perspectives, they can't divest or they can't get out of their job or else their, you know, spouse who's on dialysis or something. You, you never know the type of situation. So that's why everyone needs to go and commune and go prayer, go and pray with our Lord to figure out the next steps when they're convinced by these certain things. Yeah. Everybody's in a different position. And, you know, even you think of, of healthcare, I know that's a little bit different in the U.S., but I know that that's a big consideration too. Having those benefits is a is a big thing, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, prudence is a Catholic virtue, and we should still, uh, again, because we're we're in the world, we don't want to be of the world, but we're still in the world, and there's uh, certain things that we need to uh, to uh, to do to take care of our families as well. So, a couple of years ago, I remember there was um, there was uh, one of my my friends said, you know, I, I you know what I can't stand is when I go on the road and I go to another Catholic church and there's a parish that has a bulletin and it's just riddled with advertisements. <laughs> and I said, oh, why is that? He's like, oh, it just it just seems like it kind of overshadows the message of the bulletin. I was like, oh, I was like, actually, if you look at it, it's actually maybe not a bad thing. I mean, you can sift through, you can tell what the actual necessary church announcements and events are that you need to follow up on. But then it actually helps you figure out exactly who the Catholic business owner is locally. And I know if I saw something in there in a bulletin, a Catholic bulletin, that would have a, a business of some sort that had a service or a product that I needed, I would probably go to that person first because I knew they were Catholic. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to the next question is that I think there's a lot of people that, uh, whether that's something that they want to do on the side, maybe starting it small, or they want to maybe really jump into something. Uh, like starting their own business is how can we help our brothers and sisters in the church establish small businesses and uh, what are some of the ways that we can support them in uh, these types of ventures if they choose to do so yeah well i uh i've had many people pre-read the book it's gone through a lot of philosophical edits and a lot of uh grammatical edits of course like any book does and i've never i haven't had anyone completely and utterly disagree with me about the Christian case against the stock market. But one of the biggest objections they come with is my alternatives are not really alternatives. Because when I say, okay, you're convinced stock market's bad, I'm, we want to divest, whatever it is. And then I, I give my main three alternatives, which is raising Christian family, uh, building Christian community, and starting Christian business. And they're like, of course, I make the the caveat that these aren't exactly one-to-one -one alternatives, obviously, because if I was saying, hey, this buy low, sell high, do no labor, value added work is not um, in line with Christian moral convictions, but go do this, go buy this thing low and sell it high later and do no work, that's not going to be aligned either. So it's really more of a mindset change than offering alternatives. And I think a lot of people understand the raising the Christian family because we should be relying on our families and our kids and our grandparents, our aunts and our uncles, rather than these financial corporations. That's kind of an easy sell. Raising the Christian community can be a bit of a hard sell. The one that's really kind of hard is, is starting Christian business because it's so risky. Starting any business is risky. And then starting a business on the integrity of Christian moral convictions is even more risky. You can't cook the books if you're running a Christian business, you know, um, you can't, you shouldn't be embezzling money. If you're running a Christian business, you shouldn't be underpaying your employees. If you're a Christian business, you shouldn't uh, be skimping. If you're running the local pizza shop and you're a Christian business, you should be offering the best ingredients because that you got to all everything, glory, everything for the glory of God. So it's really, really hard. Now, just because something's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't try it, but we need to, First, I think almost first and foremost, for someone who just wants to go out there and start like whether maybe they want to start their own barbershop, maybe they want to start their own pizza shop, maybe they want to start their own uh, mechanic business. 
one of the things that we should look to first before just getting a loan from the bank, which we've already talked about, is probably a corrupt institution or whatever. So almost before we start the Christian business, we should be looking to build the Christian community. And now this is a really long, hard route to go, but I believe it is the most spiritually advantageous route to travel. Because when we build that Christian community, and we've kind of done it here in my area, I know that there's a lot, like I said, there's pocket areas that have really, really done this well, like Steubenville, Ohio, where, you know, it seems like Catholic Central here in the United States at the moment. But when you build that Christian community, you now have brothers in Christ that are willing to help you in your business endeavors, in your family endeavors, right? And I know this isn't like a very your quick three, 10, five easy steps to starting a Christian business, but they are the steps that are needed to take that you need to take in order to do it right. You need, now maybe you're in a position where you already have a a great Christian family behind you, great Christian community behind you, and you can go to people for help. Maybe you have someone in the church who's a great marketer, someone in the church who's a great, someone in your community or family who um, is good with numbers, someone in your family who's a supplier of whatever materials you need. Most of the time, we're not going to have those kind of advantages when we're just starting out. But that's why we need to go look for those advantages. We need to be look to be rich in friends and poor in pocket. Because when you're rich in friends and poor in pocket, people will come together if you, you have that common goal of glorifying God and what you do. It's always been amazing to me that we don't have a big Catholic bank. <laughs> I know that sounds yeah, very simplistic. But, uh, you know, maybe not, and you know what I mean by, by bank, but just some more of a small Catholic credit unions. That'd be nice. Right. Right. Just of supporting people and having the same, uh, the same, uh, morality, the same virtues, those, that would be just so fantastic. I think that I know what we're trying to start here in, in Alberta and, uh, is to have kind of a, a business leaders network and not necessarily to, be in touch to, to have, you know, to have transactional business between the two people, but to, uh, to support people, even young people as they start their life, whether that's uh, their vocations too, their, their career, whether they want to start a business or, or start as a professional, just to provide some of that extra support. I think that's so important that, uh, that we get together, uh, as a, a church community. And I can't tell you how many times over the years, Mark, that I've dealt with people in my own lines of business that, uh, known them for years and, for whatever reason, something comes up where like, I think this person's a Catholic. And then you ask and like, yeah, I'm Catholic. You're Catholic. Yeah. It's like, wow, we've known each other for years. And finally we've established that we're, we're baptized. We need to be a little bit more forward and uh, purposeful in sharing our faith with other people. Mark, isn't that, uh, I just think that the way the world is right now, it's to, to silence Christianity, to silence the Mm -hmm. cross of Jesus Christ. And our modern year starts to turn into that, tune into that, right? Absolutely. And we start to be silent ourselves. And then we, uh, we miss these opportunities that are right before our noses. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. I mean, when I, and the best partnerships that I've had in business have come from the people that I've met through, uh, through Christian practices, through Christian events. Um, I meet one of my best friends to this day. Uh, his name is Will, and we've done so many different sports ministries together. And mm. now it just so happens that it's a possibility that we may be uh, purchasing a facility together to run a sports ministry out of. And I can never think of doing it with anybody but him, you know, um, because getting having that alignment of values you know, that, that Christ gives us is so key into op- having a really successful business relationship and re- a relationship in general. And I do think that we need to be, like you said, a little bit more forward. You know, we can't be afraid to offend people all the time. You know, there's times and places, of course, but like we can't be afraid to offend people all the time because I, I would much rather engage into some sort of business relationship with someone who I know uh, is more focused on the eternal than the finite future of the earth, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that, uh, boy, that's just so important uh, in today's day and age is for us to be more purposeful in our faith. And, uh, you know, even if you're working in a regular office environment or maybe you work in a trade of some sort, 
it shouldn't take people very long to figure out that you're Catholic. You can drop subtle hints of what, yeah. uh, of what, who you are, um, by, by your actions for sure, but by your words too. It's important to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, um, nice people out there, good people out there, but are they holy people? Are they trying to at least strive to be holy? Maybe not. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah. And I think it goes back to our, our modern year and I know I have it too. You're, you're concerned about the way the world looks at you. Uh, and maybe, and that's a pride thing. It's, it's one of the deadly sins. All of a sudden you're like, well, uh, you know, I want, I just want people to like me. I want people to get along and we have that modern ear and we just can't turn it off so that we can be Christ centered. And I think that's just so important. Um, I think that, and it's just something that it's hard for me to, to talk about when it comes to, uh, the education of young people and going a college or university route, because in the way, in the eyes of the world, I went down a very conventional route when it came to going to university, probably similar to you too, Mark, where I went to university, I got a degree, a business degree, worked for a corporation and uh, in the eyes of the world, that's a success story. But things have changed a lot in the last 5, 10, 20 years. How can we encourage our youth to maybe look at unconventional routes? Maybe going to a, a Catholic liberal arts college, a good one, to maybe get a little more foundation in their faith as opposed to leaving to going to a secular university when they're 17 or 18 uh, living that lifestyle, at least enduring those temptations, uh, which takes so many of our young people from our church. And then, you know, when you're 22, 23, you get in the work world, you work for a, a big corporation, and then, you know, you live happily ever after. Is there some ways that we can encourage our youth to have an entrepreneurial spirit that they can look outside maybe the standard of going to a university, a standard university or college, and have them more focused on First, their internal, their their spiritual life and building a relationship with Christ, but also building a relationship with other Catholics in their community too for support as they move into the next uh, stage of their life and their vocation. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that first and foremost, I do believe in probably the next 20-ish years, this is just me uh, playing fortune teller, uh, when my kids, my kids are five and under right now, when they get to be of that college age, I don't think college is going to be near as important even to the secular mind as it is today. I think in, in my in my area here in the United States, and I can speak for the states kind of broadly, I don't know the situation in Canada, but the in the Northeast, you can go to trade school right out of high school for plumber, electrician, carpenter, and you can apprenticeship and within your first couple of years, you can make 85 to 90 grand a year. And that's pretty and much not it. being a massive and that's amount of debt, debt free. <laughs> and I think yeah. more and more people are realizing that opportunity. And mm -hmm. what is the best way to start a business is to probably be one of those things, carpenter, plumber, mm -hmm. electrician. You can always of course go and join a union if you're one of those, well, those guys, but a lot of those guys and, and girls who go into those professions, like they, they end up uh, starting their own business and becoming pretty successful, especially in this area that I live in of the states of the Northeast, um, PA, New Jersey, New York, and everything North. Um, so that's first and foremost, or second. So first, I don't think people are going to be too uh, uh, gung-ho on the college thing in the next couple decades. I also think that this uh, these opportunities will, will start – being taken up upon you know when it comes to those trades and everything because those trades are i don't know how many people need a uh dei ceo um but everybody needs a good plumber everybody needs a good plumber um so the supply and demand alone is just makes it a no-brainer i know that uh this is a little bit of a tangent but in new york city right now i believe you can like apprenticeship for one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to be an elevator repairman because it's so desperately needed. You don't need to go to college or anything mm -hmm. for it. But and it's obviously a bit of a dangerous job. You're on the mm -hmm. cables of the elevators and stuff. But I mean, it's a very, very good living. And they're letting anybody and their brother who wants to be a part of it come in because they need it. And mm -hmm. um, so moving on from all those, I think that obviously from there's so many great popes, so many great um priests and Catholic figures have said that 
the family is where you really raise that that Catholic culture and your kids. You can't rely on outside forces to make your kids Catholic. It's that's mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster. But with that said, engaging into a good Catholic community is really the way to go because we shouldn't th- be thinking about saving our our children's Catholic faith once they turn 18 and go out of the house. We should be thinking about strengthening it every step of the way while they're in. So even if they shoot, maybe, maybe you know, uh, you have a kid that really wants to be an engineer. This is the best school. It's a very secular school. We um, always offer everything up to God, but we want to raise them up to a point to where we can be somewhat confident that they're going to be strong and not naively confident, but somewhat confident they're going to be able to stay strong in their uh, moral convictions uh, that we've raised them in, in the Catholic faith. And I think that has to do a lot with um, my wife and I talk about this a lot, that we were kind of raised on uh, two ends of the spectrum. I was I was a sacramentalized a Catholic, but lived in a secular family. And she came from more of a Catholic family that was do this because I said so. Don't ask questions. You know, why are we praying the rosary every night? Because I said so. We're not, you know, leaving that and we're going to leave it at that. And I do believe that the the good is usually found somewhere in the middle where when as parents of these kids, we need to have the answers to questions. You know, why why do we pray the rosary? Why do we have to go to mass on Sunday? Why are when a little bit harder topics when the kids get older, like why are we opposed to gay marriage? Why are we opposed to those more controversial topics and everything? We need to as as parents of and heads of households of Catholic families, we need to have good answers for those questions. Because even if we send them to a quote unquote Catholic university or Christian university, they may not even get good answers there. Because we've seen plenty of uh a lot of universities are Catholic in name only, Christian in name only. So we need to have the good answers and we need to make that a priority in our own in our own households before we even start thinking about how do we prepare them for the next stage of life. Mm-hmm. And living a sacramental life as parents is so important, isn't it, Mark? Absolutely. One that we can provide that example of going to confession regularly, going to receive communion worthily, and and often and uh, even celebrating the the special solemnities uh today's the uh, as we record this is the uh, the assumption of the blessed virgin mary for example and these are all important parts of our faith and, and we need to explain why it's important right mark it's it's so so important yeah. and so rich our we, have, so, we need to have reasons for the hope that's in us right yes 100 percent. i wanted to ask you really quick about uh you know because we've been talking about banks and and stock markets and people looking for alternatives. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on cryptocurrency is something you brought up already. Um, I think that the, you know, I, I'm trying to understand this myself. There's a lot going on with cryptocurrency because I'm probably like you, Mark, back in the day, you know, you look at a spreadsheet, you look at a financial statement and say, okay, mm-hmm. is this something worth investing in? Right. And you can kind of look at the numbers and the data and make a decision based on that. Something like cryptocurrency, there's nothing to look at. There's nothing you can hold in your hand. But, you know, the, what the, the argument of a lot of people that uh, even in our church and even even some others, some other people of goodwill is that it is a way to get your um, an investment or money outside of a standard banking system, outside of your your stock markets. Mm-hmm. But then you, you kind of see the, well, you see this uh, debacle here with that uh, FX, right? I think that's FDX, what it was called. Yes. FTX, sorry, FTX. Yep. Uh, yeah, debacle. I think that's probably a good word to describe that, right? And you can see yeah. that there's levels of corruption even inside uh, these cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and and things of that nature. But yeah, what are your thoughts on, on cryptocurrency? How can how should us Catholics uh, so I will, approach that? I will try to be short-winded here. <laughs> this is a fun topic <laughs> Maybe that's me. a separate one. <laughs> it is a fun topic for me, but... Well, let's do it briefly. Then, first yeah. things first, us as Christians should be very, very skeptical of things that exist only in the abstract. Hmm. God gave us creation for a reason. Not to say that everything in the abstract is completely evil all the time. I'm just saying we should be skeptical, skeptical of things in the abstract. Digital currency, cryptocurrencies are things that exist solely in the abstract. It's ones and zeros. With that said, cryptocurrency is, especially we'll just take the biggest one, Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin is promoted as being decentralized. Some people have made the argument that if you have about 16 billion, maybe about 20 billion now dollars, you could control pretty much all of uh, all of Bitcoin because you and I'm maybe getting the numbers wrong, but it's something somewhere in those billions where you could like take over the farms, you know, the mining farms that uh, mine the the Bitcoin and everything. And when you think about it, 16 billion, 20 billion, say it's maybe I'm getting the numbers really wrong and triple it. Maybe it's 60 billion. There are a lot of people and a lot of countries and a lot of governments that could easily do that. So it's not as decentralized as people like to think. It's also, you know, very easily stolen. People get um, out of these crypto scams. It's billions of dollars every year that people get scammed out of. With all and now moving on more of to like as an investment side. So that's just something to be skeptical of it on its face. Now, if you're using cryptocurrency as an investment, this is something I'm actually very much against from a personal standpoint. Because I believe if you're just buying Bitcoin and then sitting on it until it's at a higher value so you can sell it, you're essentially doing the same thing that you're doing to a stock, which, again, I've expressed my uh, discontent with. Because you're just buying low, selling high, doing no labor, and expecting a profit. It's it doesn't. It's not something that is... Uh, true labor in the Christian sense. It's not a good. It's not a good justification for uh, reaping profits. Now, if you were to be someone who, if you were to some, if you're someone who has the conviction that Bitcoin should replace the typical fiat currency, I'm a little bit more on your side at that point. But here's the problem. 90% of people, maybe even more, I'm just throwing out numbers, the majority of people that purchase Bitcoin or use it, use it as a speculative asset. This is why they don't use it as a currency. They use it as a speculative asset. This is why Bitcoin as of late has kind of just moved with the ebbs and flows of the typical tech stock. It's just mo it's not moving as its own thing. It's moving just like you know Amazon, Microsoft, you know all those kind of things, Nvidia. If you really think that it should be a currency replacement, I have problems with that. What I which I won't get into. I just have more like skepticism about that. But if you're truly convinced that it could be a currency replacement, you need to be in. If you're investing in it. You need to be an advocate for it to be an actual currency replacement and not just another speculative asset. And I think that could be a tenable position for the Catholic to take, saying I'm completely against fiat currency, which I am too personally. Like I do believe it's very manipulatable, very corruptible. Um, but if you say I think Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever cryptocurrency you choose should be the next digital – should be the next um, – currency that the US uses that Canada uses or that the world uses I understand that that argument and I think it could be a tenable one but if you're just sitting on it it's in your crypto wallet with a password or something and you're going to look at it in another 3 months or 5 years and see if it's gone up enough in value so you can sell it I do believe you're committing the same sin of speculation that you do on the market well, Mark, I still really want to have you again sometime in the future, so maybe we'll uh, we'll put that in the parking lot for a future discussion. But before I let you go, I did want to ask you too about uh, about precious metals because that's something that a lot of uh, Catholics get into as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that uh, I could probably guess too that when it comes to um, gold and silver mine mining stocks or something like that, or you can get these paper stocks or um, ETFs, I guess, right? Silver gold ETFs that you can get involved in. It's probably not a great Catholic position, but what about physical gold and silver, platinum, um, other commodities, something that you can hang on to and hold. Like I said, that's kind of how I was raised. You want to have land, you want to have something that you can trade. Uh, and precious metals seems to check some of those boxes. So how would you approach that as a, as a Catholic investor? Yeah, I, I think it, intent is everything. Because if you're using it, be like, all right, if I have this gold and the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm going to have something that I can barter and trade with or, you know, something like that. Or if um, I'm 
I, I'm one of those people, I'm personally one of those people that think we should be going back to a metallics based currency, you know, uh, mm -hmm. where the, the currency is rooted in the value of gold or silver or whatever it is, or some combination. Um, so if you're, again, you're kind of want to promote the, the currency replacement or bring us back to that metallics based currency, or you're using it as just kind of more of, um, security for your family. If, the dollar ever does cave or something like that, which is very possible given the trillions of dollars in debt. And if, you know, certain ally or opponents of the U S band together, it's all very possible. I don't think it will happen, but it's very possible. But if you're of the mindset where like, Hey, I'm just going to buy a couple of bricks of gold, put them in the basement and wait till they go up in value and sell them so I can buy a new car. I'm, I'm not, in your corner in that because again i believe you're treating something as a speculative asset and the only way a christian and i make this and it sounds like a bit of a harsh position to take but it's the position that i've me and others have really flushed out i've tried to come at it i've tried to uh dismantle it from just about every point of view but the only way that a christian should be making uh earning compensation is if they are doing true labor and true labor is producing a good or service that promotes the common good. So producing a good or service that promotes the common good, common good meaning, you know, raising up saints in the kingdom. Uh, that should be the only way that a Christian should receive compensation. And that, that can be something as simple, you know, the hairdresser, the, the pizza shop owner or whatever, you're providing needed services for the community, like, you know, all that is very justified. The plumber, the electrician, all that is very, very justified. The the broker who is just promoting an inflationary system that is promoting global uh, a globalized society and abstract dominant economics and family decay, you're you maybe you're providing a service to someone, but it's not something that is promoting the common good. And that's something that I think I would I would really much like the entirety of Christian of Christendom to like think about when they're engaging in business and engaging in any kind of profit making uh, practices. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you got a great book that's going to be coming out. That I'm going to make sure I read. So maybe uh, give us uh, our listeners an idea of when that book is coming out and how they can get a hold of you, Mark, if they uh, want to check out some of your content online. So yeah, I wish I had a hard date. It's still going through its last kind of like philosophical edit right now. Uh, we'll see how long that takes. But the best way to get in touch with me and get updates on the book and updates on my weekly newsletter where I give kind of like financial news from a Christian perspective. Uh, it does focus pretty primarily on the US, but it does have a kind of a world view to it. Um, the best way to see all that stuff is going to ChristCenterCapital.com. Everything I do there is completely free. We're even debating on giving the book away for free when it does get published. Uh, the newsletter is free. It's a free sign up, but ChristCenteredCapital.com. But there's a place for a donation there too, right? And uh, Yeah, if you're, if you're feeling about, generous, uh, we won't well, turn hey, you away. You're, you're laboring too, Mark. We're talking about that. A laborer deserves uh, yeah. compensation. So I encourage our listeners, if they enjoy, enjoy that content, to make sure that they, they pass along a donation to you. Mark, thanks for being a brother in Christ and doing all this great work. And uh, I think it's a, a space in the church that uh, needs more attention. And I'm really thankful that you're, you've chosen to do this. So this is great. So let's stay in touch. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, big thanks again to Mark Lozano for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Can't wait for that book to come out. It's going to be great. And go to ChristCenteredCapital.com to get more of his content and resources. And a lot of great food for thought, wasn't it, when it comes to investments and finance. And uh, these are all important things for us Catholics to consider and other people of goodwill. We need to consider these things. And so important for us to be good stewards of the wealth that we have, the money that we have, and to consecrate our earthly goods back to Jesus, back to God, to give it all to him. Because at the end of our life, we can't take our fancy cars and our jewelry and our cash with us, can we? You know, we talked a little bit about the modern ear. And even in my own life, I know that I have that modern ear a lot when it comes to the things of this world. Being concerned about the problems that I have today, especially with money, that's no different. I think about that a lot too. And I know that's a lesson that I've got to learn in my life is to give it back to God. And the best thing that we can do as Catholics is to live life in a state of grace and sanctifying grace where we can be detached from sin, 
or learn to start being detached from sin and start attaching ourselves to virtue and the love of Jesus Christ and walking in that right relationship with him. I'm telling you, it opens your eyes to things that you may never have seen before. But when you live life in a state of grace close to Jesus Christ, things just make so much more sense in the world, not only in the spiritual life, but also in the life right in front of us, our our temporal life. Things just make so much more sense. So I'm going to pray for you and pray for me as well. And thanks for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast. It's such a blessing to hear from so many of you. Say hi anytime. Love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and on X, formerly known as Twitter. And let's go and make disciples of all men. Yeah, it's not that easy in this world today. I get it. It's a little bit scary out there sometimes, but let's cling to Jesus Christ. Let's cling to the cross of Christ. So join us on this great adventure to eternal life. Join us if you're not a Catholic. I'm inviting you to join us. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Yep, turn off the noise that's out there in the media and in the world. You know, it's time to look at the scoreboard. Judge our church by our saints, not our sinners. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? And for us Catholics out there, you know what we've got to do to be a beacon of light in this fallen world. And we got to go to confession often, at least three times every year, right? Every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. I'll chat with you very soon.